the Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. Here's a little best of of the full show that is on Sirius XM Patriot every morning from 6 to 9 Eastern. In the last hour of the show today, we played the full interview that Matt Boyle, the Breitbart Washington Bureau Chief, did with Donald Trump. It was over half an hour long, covered a ton of stuff, fantastic interview uh, in it. Well, and then after that, we talked with Matt Boyle and just do a little recap of, of everything. And Trump's emphasis on foreign policy and, and, and his prophecies on China, remarkable. And, and big picture, Trump has not, not lost a beat. Not at all. If there was ever a concern that Trump's getting old and losing his step, that, that is founded in nothing. Uh, and also in the interview, they mentioned Afghanistan. Trump talked about Afghanistan and the botched withdrawal. So the full interview uh, of that with Matt Boyle and Trump, of course, on Breitbart.com. And if you subscribe to SiriusXM, then you can listen to Matt Boyle's recap to it as well. It was yesterday's or today's uh, 8 o'clock hour. I mentioned Afghanistan, though, because we dedicated the first hour of the show to that, to coming up on the second anniversary of the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan and the 13 Americans who were killed because of it. We took tons of phone calls. I don't think in this opening segment, but uh, we, we talked about Abraham Lincoln and how Abraham Lincoln visited a military hospital and met and shook the hands of 5,000 of the wounded men there. How he handled meeting with, uh, with, with service members in a way that Joe Biden couldn't, couldn't dream of. So we talked a little bit about that in the first segment here. the lead story everywhere in the country. Uh, alas, it's only being talked about on right-wing media. Daryl Issa is my former congressman in San Diego, military town. He hosted a forum with seven Gold Star families. These are families whose service members have been killed. We're just a couple weeks here before the second anniversary of the botched Afghanistan withdrawal. I, I'm for, was for, am for getting out of Afghanistan. This is not a policy debate. But the withdrawal could not have been more poorly executed. It could not have gone worse. And I can explain more of that a little later. There's no debate about this. It's, this is, everyone knows, this is a universally agreed upon opinion that fact that this is a botched operation. The withdrawal from Afghanistan. There were State Department reports, after-action reports. It went terribly. Not by the men on the ground, of course. They executed their orders perfectly. They were terrible orders. So they had a forum with the Gold Star families who finally got to speak about their loved ones, which is one of the points. It's been two years, and these 13 Americans have not received their due attention because it's bad politically. It looks bad for Joe Biden. So we're just going to pretend that these 13, that this never happened. We're going to pretend it never happened. We're going to lie to these families. And we're going to pretend it all never happened, sweep it under the rug. Because it looks bad for me, says Joe Biden and the Democrats. There's no question that's what's happening. Here is Darren Hoover, 
father of Marine Corps Staff Sergeant Darren Hoover, who is 31, from Salt Lake City. In closing, I'm calling out Secretary Blinken, Secretary Austin, General Milley, General McKenzie, Lieutenant Colonel Whited, who could not give the order to the snipers to take out the bomber before he detonated his vest, and ultimately the president. Do what our son did. Be a grown-ass man. Admit to your mistakes. Learn from them so that this doesn't happen ever, ever again. You all need to resign immediately. Our sons and daughters have more integrity in their little toes than every one of them combined. You owe it to our families here today, to the other gold and silver star families that have gone before, and most of all to the veterans who have given so much for this country so that we have the freedoms that we enjoy today. Thank you. Thank you. It is really amazing that no one resigned and no one got fired for what happened in Afghanistan. Resigning and getting fired, it's not a it's not a unthinkable thing in war for, for generals. Generals have resigned or were fired all the time, all the time in our history, during the Civil War, during World War II. Today, people act like that's the most absurd thing they've ever heard of. Just, I, remember, I distinctly remember two years ago, we're like, is anyone going to be held accountable for this? Oh, no, come on now. You're not going to you're not gonna fire anyone over this. You're not going to resign over this. You have a, a, a family to feed. It's like, what are you kidding me? In the past, people would have resigned for a couple of reasons. First, to save their good. They would have resigned beforehand. To save their good name. They're like, I can't be a part of something like this. This is, I, this is a terrible mission. This is horribly executed. This is an awful plan. I'm, I, if I'm the one who's in charge of this operation, I'm not, I, I can't have anything to do with it. I resign. That used to happen all the time. And then uh, I understand people rationalize that away and they say, oh, well, okay, well, I don't like the plan, but maybe I can do some good if I stay on the inside during it. If I quit, then there's nothing I can do to control. But, but okay, I get that. But then you resign immediately after. You resign right after. Like, I didn't like this plan, but I thought I could have a positive influence, and we, I did the best I could, and now I'm out because that was horrific. So it's either that, or people would resign in shame afterwards. Japan, this is one of my, one of my favorite examples. I think of it all the time. Japan has a shame-based culture. They have a shame-based culture. Their prime minister, which is, I understand is more of a ceremonial role, but still, the, the point is, their prime ministers resign all the time. <laughs> Just constantly resigning here. I got a, that's on Wikipedia. There's a list of the prime ministers and pull it up here. Uh, okay. Here's, this is, um, all right. Their prime minister in 2020 resigned after a year, 2010 resigned after a year, 2009 resigned less than a year, 2007 resigned exactly a year, 2006 resigned because he was an illness. 2001, 2000, 1998, 96, 94, 94. They had two, they had two, <laughs> two prime ministers resigned in 1994. 
93, 91, 89, 89, 87, 82. And you got it? Every couple of years, they have a prime minister resign, and they resign in shame because their party performed poorly in the election or there was some controversy. Not even a scandal, just some controversy. And they're like, oh, I can't go on. I resigned for the good of my name and family. And, and So they're always turning over. And, and we in America were like, oh, I, oh, I could never imagine such a thing. I'm not saying we need generals to resign every three days. But we could have some shame in our country. This is a New York Times editorial in 2010. I just want to prove this point that we need to, we need to have a little more of shame culture. New York Times editorial, 2010. Person says, in the longer term, the army has to return to its tradition of getting rid of leaders who are failing. The Navy has shown more fortitude. In the first two months of this year alone, it fired six commanders of ships and installations. On Tuesday, it fired the skipper of the frigate John Hall, two months after it collided with a pier at a Black Sea port in Georgia. The Navy simply stated, as it usually does in such cases, that the officer's superior has lost confidence in him. That's all it needed. The Marine Corps has also largely kept the tradition of relieving officers, most notably during the invasion of Iraq in 2003 when its top ground officer, Mattis, fired the commander of the 1st Marine Regiment. During his tenure, Defense Secretary Robert Gates has fired secretaries of the Army and Air Force and Air Force Chief of Staff. Back in World War II, the Army had no qualms about letting officers go. At least 16 of the 155 generals who commanded divisions in combat during the war were relieved while in combat. George Marshall, the nation's top general, felt that a willingness to fire subordinates was a requirement of leadership. He once described General Hap Arnold, chief of the Army Air Forces, as a fine man, but one who, quote, didn't have the nerve to get rid of a man not worth a damn. Marshall had plenty of nerve. In 1940 and 41, as war loomed, he forced into retirement several hundred officers he deemed too old and slow to be effective. Isn't that amazing? So Marshall's just looking at the lay of the land. He's like, these guys all got to go. <laughs> They're firing all of them. When the commandant at Leavenworth told him that updating the complete set of army training manuals would take 18 months, Marshall offered him three months and then four months to do the job. It can't be done. Bundle twice responded. You'd be very careful about that, Marshall told him in a phone conversation. No, it can't be done. Bundle repeated. I'm sorry then. You are relieved. And go on. Point is, this is, it used to be very normal, very expected for generals to resign or be fired. Not a huge deal. And with Afghanistan, not a single one. Not one. You're telling me not one fireable decision was made? Not one? Not one worthy? amazing the only person who was fired because of afghanistan was lieutenant colonel Stuart scheller jr he made a video while in uniform criticizing leadership because none of them resigned or were fired and he was thrown in the brig for doing that which by the way he should have he should have been thrown in the brig part of doing a brave thing means accepting the consequences for doing it and then he was kicked out of the military after 17 years of service. That decision he made came at a very high price. But I want to be clear. I'm not saying he should have made the video and then gotten off scot-free. No, you make a video like that, you're going to get the consequences. And he did. But he's the only one who had any consequences. This truly is, it is such a devastating thing about American culture right now. 
the, this zero responsibility and accountability. And it's wild. It's one thing for it just to be in the underclass. Like, it, it, you know, we talk a lot about crime, right? We haven't in a while, but you get the idea. Crime, like, oh, can you believe this, this criminal? He broke into the store and he just blamed the store, right? So, it's like, okay, no accountability among criminals. Okay, understood. Makes sense. I get that. But when you have no accountability among the elite, among the military class, that's a big problem because now we're going to have no accountability anywhere. That's the direction we're headed. And this is what they do in D.C. And they do everywhere. The more bureaucracy they can add, the less that anyone is ever held accountable for anything. Because they can all just blame each other. Like, oh, that's this department. Oh, no, that's that's that bureaucracy over there. Nope, that's that branch. Oh, no, that's Congress. Oh, no, that's the president. No, no, that's the Supreme Court. No, that's that. No, no, no one ever takes accountability for anything. This is the mother of Marine Lance Corporal Dylan Marola. Right. Dylan Terrest, witnessing thousands of people not being recognized nationally, was becoming prominent. How could so many people pay their respects, but nothing at all from the President of the United States on something he had conducted? My social media accounts started receiving little to no attention, and my son's name seemed to be slowly not being recognized. I knew then that I was being targeted and shut down publicly by media outlets. I could hardly search anything that had to do with Afghanistan when just a month ago our situation was everywhere. How could a worldwide event quoted the largest evacuation in American history just disappear? When failures are made, those who are involved in those failures want it to be forgotten. And that's what I felt was happening by our current leadership. Those Marines who had poured their hearts out to me and had been by my side grieving over their experiences, their stories were beginning to change. I knew they were being told they couldn't speak about their experiences any longer. On January 19, 2022, a colonel in his JAG briefed me on the after action report of what was supposed to be the truth and facts of what happened at Abbey Gate. During this brief, it was explained to me where my son's location had been during the time of the attack and also his wound, wounds in accordance with his autopsy report. That is when I personally confirmed to myself that everything, even the way my son died, was being covered up. Mm. I was being given false information. Wow, it's unbelievable. And just to... We can talk about the specifics of all that, but just to go back a step, how about the fact that we haven't heard from these family members until now? We haven't heard from them at all. This is a different uh, uh, interview I want to play here. This is not from the Gold Star Families event the other day. This is a, one of the Marines who was blown up, lost an arm at least, and he's talking here in an interview about the moment he met President Biden when he was all bandaged up in the hospital. Here it is. Like two minutes later, he walks in with him and Jill Biden 
and their little entourage of people and like a photographer. And uh, right away, like remember him coming up to me, um, trying to shake my hand, like I should try to shake my right hand. And I look at him and I'm like, I don't have an arm. And my left arm is in this cast with this giant orange foam block around it. I completely immobile. All I can do is move my head. My arm's gone. I'm like, I don't have an arm. And he says, oh, and like kind of stands up and then like goes over to reach for my fingers because about an inch of my fingers are showing and just like grabs my fingers. Doesn't say, doesn't greet me or anything. Just that's what happened. Just grab my fingers. And uh, I was like, okay, that's weird. And, you know, almost immediately starts talking like about how their son served in the military. Doesn't say anything about what happened. Starts talking about how their son served in the military. And uh, my mom is just like, she's furious at this point. And they're like taking pictures and stuff. And uh, she goes, she was like, my mom said this, she was like, I don't give a say. I don't care what you guys can do. She's like, you better take care of him for the rest of his fucking life. And uh, like she said that, and um, I'm sitting there, and he comes over to me, and he leans over me. And I have a, I have a picture of this to prove it. I'll show you this picture that I have. Um, it's a pretty funny picture. Uh, he leans over me, and he's like this close to my face, and he's like, "What do you want?" Said, what do you want? Yeah, I said, what do you want? I said, what? He said, what What do you want? And I'm just like confused. I'm, I just got blown up and saw my friends die next to me. I'm like, I just want to be myself. And he's like, huh? And my mom's furious. And she's like, he said he just wants to be himself. He just wants to be him. He said he just wants to be me. And he goes, oh, okay. And they just continue to talk about everything but what just happened and then um they just ushered him out of the room he didn't know what to say they ushered him out of the room and that was that and uh my mom tried multiple times to get help from 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 them reaching out to the first lady and try to get some some legislation passed for caretakers like herself who own businesses who don't get any financial support for helping their service member that just got his whole life torn apart. And uh, she wanted to help other caretakers in the future have, you know, cause they didn't, there's caretaker, there's certain amount of money that you can get as a caretaker depending on what you do and, uh, or help, but it's, it's a process. And so she was working through that, but she wanted to pass legislation for future caretakers to, to help get, you know, like, hey, if you run a business and you need to come take care of your son who, you know, served their country and just got blown up, like, you can do that and not have to worry about financials for a little bit. You know what I mean? And so she was trying to get help with that, and they just pretended to help. They kind of brushed her off and uh, pretended like they were connecting her with the right individuals and didn't help her at all. And so, um, obviously, because of the Congress stuff now, my mom is since you know, going to be moving forward with some, with some stuff, with some individuals who are actually going to help. That last part there, what a perfect example of the culture of unaccountability we have today where the first lady's office, whoever just kept passing mom around 
on who could help and no one could help. Oh, try this, no them, no over the, oh that VA, oh that section, oh no, we'll try over there, boom boom. No one ever taking accountability. Now on the whole point of that one, I will give some grace, some, to Joe Biden. Meeting people in a hospital, even loved ones, is <laughs> difficult slash inherently awkward for everyone. And there's very few precedent in life for man in hospital who is there as a result of a decision I as commander in chief made. Like there's only 45 people who can relate to that at all. So it takes a very special person to be able to handle that moment with dignity and humility and grace and love and empathy. And that person is definitely not Joe Biden. Second Amendment front, it's always worth getting an update on that. And no one is better than AWR Hawkins from Breitbart.com. AWR, how are you? I'm doing great. Good, brother. Let's go, uh, I guess, big to small, I guess. We'll start with the Supreme Court. I don't know what this means. And <clears throat> every article I read, it's, uh, let me read. This is the CNN. The Supreme Court on Tuesday agreed to freeze a lower court order that bars the government from regulating. And I'm like, I'm lost. I don't know who says what, when, how, what. Like you, you freeze a barring, you freeze a regulation that bars, and I don't know what's happening. So make this easy for an idiot like me. Right, right. And we covered this at Breitbart yesterday. Uh, uh, what happened is it's very simple, uh, but the left has tried to report it in a way that makes it sound like they got a victory, but it, they didn't. Mm. What happened is... Um, a uh, federal court, a lower court, went against the ATF's rule that 80% frames. ATF passed a rule that if you have a frame that's 80% uh, completed, then that's a firearm. If you if you have a receiver that's 80% completed, that's a firearm. It may not even have a barrel on it. It may not even have a trigger in it, but okay. it's a firearm. They, they did that so they could start getting background checks on gun parts. Well, the lower court ruled against it, uh, vacated it. Then the Fifth Circuit followed up, and they vacated it. A panel did. But it's still in the appeals process because you can go from a panel to the full court. It's still in the appeals process in the Fifth Circuit. Well, while it's in the appeals process, uh, the Supreme Court was asked to jump in and just go ahead and toss out everything and uphold the rule. Instead, the Supreme Court said, look, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to sit here and watch the uh, appeals process run its course. And when that's over, we'll get involved. Until then, the rule can stand. And that's it. That's the whole thing in the nutshell. Okay, so the, the Supreme Court is basically saying we're not going to we're not going to throw the rule out until we throw the rule out. That's and uh, so that's that. Okay, so I think one of the spins is uh, that Chief Justice John Roberts and conservative Amy Barrett voted with the liberals, but that's right. just because they're saying, let's let the process work its way, and then when it gets to us in the end, we'll make our decision. 
in the end. So that that's one of their spins, right? right. This is like a and liberal it, win. For anybody that needs for anybody that needs uh, even more context, Naperville in Illinois has a assault weapons ban. The state of Illinois has an assault weapons ban, and our listeners will remember that about four weeks ago or five weeks ago, I was very focused on uh, attempts to overthrow both those bans. The problem with the attempts to overthrow those bans, they also were in the appeals process in a circuit court. And the Supreme Court responded there by saying, look, we're not going to get involved yet. Let's let the appeals process run its course, and then we'll get involved. So this is there's precedent for what they did yesterday. Yeah. It's what they've done for as long as I know. So there was nothing special about it. The left is just trying to turn it into a victory, but it wasn't. Very good. And I do think that's proper, too. Uh, that, I think that's probably appropriate for the Supreme Court to wait. Uh, so let's go back to the genesis. What, what, what is because it's about ghost guns, right? What is the what are you talking about with the kid and the eighty percent? Like what what's what is that and what is the goal of the ATF? Well, the goal of this really here's here's what they say. What they say is if you buy a kit and that kit can be used to make a gun, then the kit itself is a gun. Yes, that's what they say. Okay. So, in other words, but what they don't tell you is if I, if I were to buy an 80% kit, let's just call it that. If I were to buy a kit that's 80% completed, I still have to know where to drill, how to drill, where to sand, how to sand, how to insert the trigger, uh, how to insert the bolt, how to do so many things to complete that firearm. I still have to acquire certain parts from outside that kit to complete the firearm. Uh you have to have quite a bit of knowledge to get it done. But I've always thought, and this is what they've ultimately done, I've always thought from the moment uh, a drop-in trigger for a Glock was created, I thought they're going to find a way to do a background check on these triggers because that allows them to create paper trails on pistols that they don't know about yet. And and by that I mean we didn't have background checks until 1998 in this country. So from 1791 to 1998, how many millions of guns do you figure came into existence and are legally owned by Americans? The government wants to know where every one of those guns is, and this is a tool they can use to find some of them. That's how it ultimately works. Do we have any evidence of crimes being committed with these uh, gun kits? Well, you'll have this is how the left reports it. We have a hundred percent increase this year in this city in the use of ghost guns. Well, what that means is there was a ghost gun used. Yeah, Went from See, one to or, two. or we have a we have a fifty percent increase. In other words, there were two ghost guns used last year, and this year there were three. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of crime. I mean, that's what we're talking about. But again, I, and I tricked myself into using the phrase ghost gun. I try to never use it. I try to always be clear and say firearms that Democrats describe as ghost guns. What, what's a, what's a more got, proper term? Because I like that. we got to watch our language. What's a proper term? That's it. Firearms that Democrats describe as ghost guns. Because I have guns that I've built myself. They're some of my favorite guns. But that's the other catch. The the forty five caliber handgun I built myself, which is a nineteen eleven model, the classic gun. By the time all was said and done, it cost me twenty seven hundred dollars to build it. <laughs> you can go you can go anywhere you want and buy a nineteen eleven right now for five hundred bucks. Sure, sure. 
So that's the other thing. When, when the left tells us how attractive these are, I don't really see criminals spending $2,700 for the gun they're going to use to hold up the 7-Eleven tonight. Yeah, and it's a little more difficult than putting together the Ikea shelf that I did last night, and even that wasn't as easy as I thought it'd be. Uh, tell me about the Ninth Circuit panel, which is now more of a conservative court, thanks to Donald Trump, saying that knives are, fire, are um, uh, count as arms under the Second Amendment. That's interesting. I've never th- thought of that before. I always think guns when I think Second right. Amendment. Right. I think, and I think this, this is the important decision that, as you point out, the left was all over the quote-unquote ghost gun decision, but they didn't mention this. This is very important. They're saying that if we look at the classic definition for arms, that, that basically what it does, it covers the tools that are used for self-defense, and that uh, I believe, what, what's the word, bladed weapons, that's the phrase the the Ninth Circuit used bladed weapons are included under the definition of arms and are therefore protected by the Second Amendment. That's great news. Yeah, because there's a lot of gun legislation, or excuse me, nice knife legislation. Certain length, like how how they how they uh, uh, retract or don't write. All, there's all those different regulations. So are all of those unconstitutional now? Moving forward, potentially. But, well, potentially, but now this is focused on a butterfly knife. And Hawaii, Hawaii argued in the Ninth Circuit that a butterfly knife is uh, dangerous and unusual. They were trying to find any any cover they could. So that they what's could, special about a butterfly uh, knife? Have these prohibited? What's yeah, unique about that's that? The, that's what the justices, the judges at the Ninth Circuit said. There's nothing unusual about it at all. It's got an extra handle. That's it. <laughs> why? Why so were they banned? They stopped it. Why were they banned in the first place? Well, I think they're banned because the Democrats like to ban things. I mean, you <laughs> you think about it. An overarching principle I always tell my friends who are waking up to politics because they're friends of all ages, and I'll say, here's 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 a maxim. You always keep this in mind. Now, Democrats like to take away things. Conservatives like to get government out of the way so you can be free. Yeah, free to stab stab people. AWR free to commit crimes with knives. Yeah. AWR, right. some freedom that is. Well, you know, see, they like that. Now, that is how I left this talk, isn't it? But the, the truth is, we're talking about being free to defend your life. And, you know, we covered Breitbart. Guns are used every year 760,000 times a year to save life. 760,000 times a year, defensive guns, our guns are used defensively. The media will never touch that. That's a minimum number, by the way. It's very low. And so, who knows how many times knives are used uh, to save lives, too. Yeah. And I don't care. You can throw in baseball bats. I mean, who knows how many times they are used to save lives. Those are important figures because that's the purpose of the Second Amendment is to protect our ability to protect ourselves. And the Ninth Circuit is driving that home. Yeah, I'm so glad Breitbart and you uh, cite those figures and share those stories. Just the other day, you shared the story of someone in uh, North Carolina where a woman uh, used a gun to defend herself from an attacker. And and I don't. Does your number count brandishing of a gun? Yeah, uh, actually, to be honest with you, if you look at a minimum figure annually of seven hundred sixty thousand defensive gun uses, in roughly three quarters of those, the gun's brandished and it scares the attacker yeah. off. So basically. In what would we say, 570,000 of those instances, the trigger's not even pulled. Yeah. But the fact that the gun was there 
allowed the woman or the man to take control of the situation. Of course. AWR Hawkins, keep up the wonderful work, sir. Thank you. Yeah, we Thank need you. To, Great to be with you. Yeah, bro. We need to keep those stories. We need to share the stories at all the time. Con- I mean, you can't. I don't know if you can share 750,000 of them, but as much as possible, defensive gun uses need to be uh, put into people's psyche as, a, as things that happen constantly, every day across the country, all kinds of people, all walks of life. Because it is completely not even thought of, not even considered today by the left and by average people who by default think guns are bad and mean and scary. I'm American made. I got American parts. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Alexander Marlowe. The former host of Breitbart News Daily, but more importantly, the editor-in-chief will be with us tomorrow at 8.40 Eastern Time. We'll see you then. I'm in love with her, and I want-